Amen. I'm just glad our God's not a has-been. Amen. He doesn't say I was, he says I am. He didn't say I will be, he says I am. And I'm thankful for that. I like songs like that, don't you? Yeah. Singing about Jesus, singing about our Lord. But the other thing is, is I like them because they're new songs. You know, I think sometimes a, a church does themselves a disservice if they won't sing a new song. Now hold on, I think it's a church does a disservice if they won't sing the old songs. Some churches have cast out the old songs. When you do that, you're not tying yourself to previous generations of Christians that have brought you to this place. But I think when a church refuses to sing newer songs, they're forgetting that God still is. And every generation must have their song. And so I appreciate that tonight. Appreciate the singing, appreciate the spirit, appreciate the opportunity to be here. I would say today's been a good day, right? Amen. I was glad when they said unto me, let us come into the house of the Lord. This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Any day I get to go to church, take a nap, and watch some football is a good day. Can I get a witness right there? Amen. Look, and the Bengals won today. How about that? Some of you ought to be happy about that. And uh, glad you're here tonight. Turn your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And Again, I'm thankful to be with you. It's always good to be what I would consider home growing up in Cincinnati. And I do miss my family when I'm away from them and miss my ministry when I'm away from it. But if I was going to be somewhere, I'd like to be here. And it's a great place. If I lived in this area, you can bet it, I would go to church right here. And I'm thankful that we get to be here tonight. I'm with your pastor. I know he says it often, so it's not saying something you haven't heard before. And I know I'm preaching at the choir because you're here tonight. But I love Sunday night church. It's my favorite service of the week. I really, I really love it. You know, Sunday morning, you got a lot of people, and I don't begrudge them. I'm glad they come, but they only come on Sunday morning, you know. And uh, Sunday night is, uh, Wednesday night, I, 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 I like it too, but we've got discipleship going on and kids ministry, and we have a teen service, and we've got all kinds of things going on on Wednesday night. And uh, Sunday night, everybody's around, and I love it. It's my favorite service of the week, and uh, I appreciate you being here tonight. I hope you'll make it a priority to be here tomorrow night. You know, your pastor's really only asking you to come two more times than you normally should come anyway. And so I hope that you'll be here Monday and Tuesday as well. And I promise you, if you'll come, I'm not promising you'll hear a great sermon. I mean, I'll try. But what I'm promising you is you'll hear a great truth because I'm going to preach it from the Bible. And the other thing that I'm promising you is I will try my best. Okay, so I'll give you everything. I'm not going to half-heart it. I'll give you everything I got. And so you come here and be here Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and I would appreciate it so much. You know, a preacher always preaches better to a full house than he does to a half-empty house. Listen, I've preached in prison ministry before, and, and I've preached, I, literally, I've preached my guts out to one guy sitting in a room. He probably thought I was crazy. I was just preaching. One guy. But I've preached in a prison where we had hundreds of guys, and it was awesome, you know? And uh, it's, it's just better. The greatest gift you can give to your pastor is just be in your place. I promise you. Listen, I, I know he appreciates a gift you would give him, uh, but as a pastor, I can say this to you. Uh, my, this is Pastor Appreciation Month. My church was so kind to me. He gave me so many kind gifts and nice things, and uh, I'm thankful for that. But you know, the greatest gift they can give is just be in their place. Yeah. I don't have to sit up on a platform and go, well, where's so-and-so? I wonder why they're not here. And uh, that's a great gift. And so again, I know you say, come on, man, I'm already here. Let's get to it. Okay, let's get to it. Hebrews chapter 2. I was talking so you could find it, all right? Hebrews chapter 2. Let's stand together. We're going to read four verses, Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This morning we talked about how great it is to be saved, and to think about how it was that you got saved, but you'll see how this applies as we build on that thought tonight. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. 
For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? I'm going to pause right there. Help me out, church. I don't want you to fall asleep just yet. How many of you would say salvation, being saved is great? Okay. So he says don't neglect that. If what we talked about this morning is so great, you cannot neglect it. Otherwise, he said, you'll slip. All right? So he says, there's a great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. I want to preach to you tonight about slip sliding away. Slip sliding away, because this is a revival meeting, so I'm speaking mostly to Christians. And I wonder how many of us sitting in this room tonight have neglected this great salvation. The Bible didn't say here rejecting it, it said neglecting it. And I think that that's why sometimes we need revival, because we have neglected something that's so great in our life. So let's talk about it tonight. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help me, fill me with thy spirit, use me tonight. And I do pray that I'd be a blessing to this congregation. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Appreciate you standing. Robert Robinson was a man who was saved under the preaching ministry of George Whitfield. If you're familiar with church history, you know George Whitfield was a very bombastic evangelist and uh, some criticism came with some of his methodology, but God greatly used him in many ways. And Robert Robinson got saved under his preaching ministry. You might not know really the name Robert Robinson, but many of you that have grown up in church would know, uh, the, recognize the song that he wrote. He wrote the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And it's a great song. We sing it at our church. I would imagine you sing it here in this church as well. Well, after a successful time of pastoring, after he got saved, began to grow in the Lord, he became a pastor, he experienced drift. You, you know, you, sometimes we think pastors are 10 feet tall and bulletproof and they don't ever struggle with things spiritually. They just walk around and pray and read their Bible all day long. But he struggled like all people made of flesh do. And he began to drift away from the ministry and he, he kind of ran from the Lord. He resigned his, his pastorate and he kind of got out of church and kind of was doing his own thing. And he was just kind of traveling around trying to, I guess we'd say in our vernacular, trying to find himself. And he was sitting on a train one day. There's a young lady sitting across from her reading a book of poems. She's reading a book of poems, and she began to be moved by this poem that she was reading. And she just struck up a conversation with Mr. Robinson right across the aisle from her. And she said, uh, sir, what do you, uh, read this poem and tell me what you think about it. So he took the book, and he opened it up, and he was looking at the poem that she was uh, pointing him to. And it was his poem, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. And he read that great line in there, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. He read that and he fell under great conviction. He was reading his own poem, fell under conviction. He read those words, O oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. He read those words and it convicted him and he got right with the Lord and got back to the place that he ought to be. I want to just challenge you tonight, there's no standing still in the Christian life. I want you to understand this evening, you are either moving forward or you're moving backwards. You are not standing still. In fact, if you've been in church for a while, you would recognize this word. It's a word we use in Christian vernacular, backsliding. Doesn't mean you're not saved, doesn't mean your sins aren't forgiven, doesn't mean you're not going to heaven when you die. It just means you're sliding backward, you're going in the wrong direction. Friend, tonight I'm just telling you, you're either moving forward or you're moving backward. In fact, this text uses the word in verse 1. He says, unless at any time 
we should let them slip. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I want to circle that word slip. That word slip means, basically carries the idea of drift. It's a nautical term that describes a wandering ship. I want you to think about it tonight. Do you ever drift into anything good? The answer is no. You, you, you do not drift into good things. Listen, I, I, I have never yet in my life woken up and, and, and said, whoa, I have a six-pack of abs. You do not drift into muscular tone. I'll tell you what you drift into. You drift into dad bod. Right? You, you don't drift into good things. And if you think that just some morning you're going to wake up and go, whoa, I'm spiritual, you've got another thing coming. But I'm telling you what can happen is you can find yourself far away from the Lord and say, how did I get out? How did I get over here? And there are people all over the place that used to be in church. They used to be involved in ministries. They might even used to be preachers. And they are far away from the Lord. And and they're kind of wondering, how did I get here? But the truth is, it's because they slipped. They they just kind of slowly and steadily drifted away and realized that they were far away from where they needed to be. No one ever intends to slip. It just happens. And it happens through a word that is found in this text as well. It's the word neglect. Did you see that there? He said, he said, what would happen if we neglect so great a salvation? I'll tell you what would happen. You'll slip. You'll drift. You'll wander away like a ship with no moorings. You'll find in this particular section, these four verses that we read, it's, it's really the first of five major admonitions that the author of Hebrews is going to give us. Now, I don't personally believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. If your pastor believes something different, that's fine. Trust him. He knows more than I do anyway. I just think that somebody else did that was closely associated with Paul, probably like a, somebody like Apollos. That's just my own personal opinion for a couple of reasons. But whoever it was, whether it was Paul or Apollos or some other preacher, it is recognized as inspired scripture, and we benefit one of the greatest books in the Bible, no doubt. But there are five major admonitions, and this is one of them. This is the first of them that's found in this particular letter. In the middle of this explanation, uh, or his explanation as he starts out, he, he's given some explanation about uh, some angels. Now, now, again, I'm kind of trying to catch myself here and not overwhelm you with too much content. But listen, the theme of Hebrews is this. Jesus is better than everyone. He's better than everything. If you take notes, you might just want to write that at the top of the word Hebrews when it's found in the Bible. Jesus is better than everyone. He's better than everything. Now, I know that that's not politically correct, but I'm not worried about being politically correct. I know in our, in our, our, our pluralistic society, you're not supposed to say that your way is better than anybody else's way. But I'm telling you what the Bible says, and the Bible says that Jesus is better than everyone. He's better than everything. And so the author is going to start talking about all these things that Jesus is better than. He's better, he starts off talking about he's better than angels. He's way better than an angel. And he talks about why he's better than angels. He'll, he'll say he's better than Moses. Moses is a great man. Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than Abraham. He's better than the wall. He's better than the temple. He, he talks about all these things that Jesus is better. Why? Because Jesus is better than everyone. He's better than everything. And so here he's talking about angels, and right in his explanation of angels, he, he, he almost, I mean, the book's just starting. We're in chapter two here. He gives an invitation. Now, how many of you have been in church before, and you've ever seen a preacher get blessed by his own preaching? How many of you have ever seen that happen? No? Oh, man, I have. Man, man, in our church, I had this old country preacher. He's with the Lord now. His name was Charles Wright. I love Brother Charles Wright. He was an encouragement to this young preacher. He got saved in the town I used to pastor in, and and I had him come preach. He was a blessing. He had a gravelly old southern voice. And he was preaching in my church one time. He got blessed by his own preaching. I don't know about you, but I've been blessed by my own preaching, man. I just get excited about what I'm saying, you know. Even if you're not liking it, I am, you know. And and he got blessed by his own preaching. And I remember he, he stopped right in the middle of a sermon. He said, He just, I love preaching. I love preaching. 
If I can't have some good preaching, I'll take me some bad preaching. That's what he said. Now, I don't know if I'd necessarily agree with that. I've heard some bad preaching. I don't know that I would want to take. And some of you say, I'm listening to some right now. But, but anyway, I, I, I appreciate the fact that he got happy and blessed by his own preaching. This preacher writing this letter, no matter who you think it is, he just kind of pauses right in the middle of what he's saying, and he gives an invitation there. He just kind of pauses. And by the way, that's what effective preachers do. They, they do more than just present you information. Now, I understand sometimes we need teaching, and I would say this. All good preaching has some good teaching, and all good teaching has some good preaching. But, but here, he, there's a difference. And you study your Bible, there's a difference between preaching and teaching. And, and here, he, he's writing this letter, and he's getting excited. And by the way, you should get excited about this stuff. You just sit like a bump on the log when somebody says, Jesus is better than everyone and better than everything. Man, somebody needs to light your fire. You, you just might need revival. So here he is, he's like talking about how Jesus is better than angels, and, and he basically says, okay, what are you going to do about this? Because that's what good preaching is. It, it brings you to a decision, right? This is a story I heard, it's an accurate story. Abraham Lincoln, when he was the president, he slipped out one night, went to a Wednesday night prayer meeting, and he had one of his aides with him, and they slipped in, sat in the side room so he wouldn't distract anything, just listened to the preacher preach, slipped out, was walking home, and he was down uh, walking on the sidewalk home to, to the White House, you know, it was a little different in those days, and his aide said, wow, what a great sermon. What a great sermon. Mr. Lincoln didn't say anything. They kept walking. He said, what a great sermon. And, and Mr. Lincoln didn't say anything. Finally, he said, Mr. Lincoln, don't you, th Mr. President, don't you think that was a, a great sermon? And, and he kept pressing him. And, and, and Abraham Lincoln said this, it, it was not a great sermon. He said, why didn't you think it was a great sermon? He said, it was, a, it, he said, it was not a great sermon. And here's what he said, because it failed to be great because the preacher did not ask us to do something great. You know, there are a lot of preachers that way. They just kind of throw something out at you. They give you a lot of facts. They kind of drive around all over the place, and you say, oh, that was good, that was good, that was good. But you don't know what you're supposed to do with it. So this, this preacher here is writing. He's saying, Jesus is better than everyone and better than everything. He, he's better than angels. And, and man, in a church like this, ah, amen, that's right, he's better than angels. Okay, but here's the thing. What am I supposed to do with that? And, and so he pauses and he says, he gives this little invitation in these four verses. He, he says, what are you going to do? Because he's saying the danger here is to understand how great Jesus is. And the danger is to understand how great this salvation is. And then to do nothing with it. To neglect it. Now, again, I pointed out to you, be careful. You know that the words are important. He didn't say, be careful that you don't reject so great a salvation. He said, don't neglect so great a salvation. Think about it. I don't know everybody in this room. I love coming back here because I love seeing some of you that are so faithful, fa familiar faces, faithful, faithful, just in your place, continuing to serve. It's wonderful. Some of you I grew up with, and I'm so glad to see you just faithful and living for the Lord. But it's great to see faces I don't know. That's a sign of a healthy church. And I would imagine just like the, these folks we saw baptized tonight, that was awesome. And if that doesn't get you excited, then I don't know what, what will. I mean, that's just exciting. But the thing is, is some of you might be newly saved, and the Bible is warning you, don't neglect it. I just got saved. I don't know a whole lot. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Don't neglect it. You need to develop it. You need to build it. You need to learn it. You need, you need to grow. But he's also talking to people who have been saved for a long time. Look, some of you don't measure your salvation in years or weeks or months. You, you measure it in decades. Don't neglect the gift that you have. Listen, I've been saved almost 40 years. I can't hardly believe that. But, but I've been saved almost 40 years. And I cannot neglect this great gift, this great salvation that I have. The, the Bible's warning me about that, and he's warning you about that. And again, I'm just trying to tell you, as we get into this, more problems in life are caused by neglect than just perhaps about anything. I mean, think about it. You want to ruin your house? Don't do anything. Just neglect it. I, I mean, never fix anything. Never, never turn anything off. Don't, don't worry about your pipes when it gets cold. All that stuff. You just neglect it, and it'll take care of itself. You want to ruin your car? Don't change the oil. Don't change the tires. Don't change the brakes. Just don't do anything. Just neglect it. You, you, you want to, hey, by the way, you want to ruin your health? Hey, just neglect it. 
Eat whatever you want. Never exercise. Don't get good sleep. I mean, just, just neglect it. You'll die. You, you, you want to ruin your family? You want to ruin your children? You don't have to beat them. You don't have to cuss at them. Just neglect them. Don't do anything. You, you ruin it. I, I mean, the, we, we can go on and on about these examples. You, the same thing applies to our spiritual life. I think you recognize that. Hey, you, you, you want to have a, a, a bad spiritual life? Neglect it. Don't ever read your Bible. Don't ever open it up and crack it open. Listen, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to preaching in just a minute. But this is all introduction, so this is the free part. Look, look if you want to ruin your salvation, just neglect it. Don't, don't overopen your Bible. I'm going to challenge you. If the only time you ever eat a spiritual meal is when you come here on a Sunday morning and listen to this man open a Bible and give you something, you are neglecting your salvation. Listen, I understand this man is gifted, and I understand you have other preachers in, on staff and that come through here that are gifted. They've been blessed by God. They've got, they've got uh, training and so on and so forth. But I'm telling you, everybody likes to have a good home-cooked meal, and that's what the church is for. God knew you needed that. He gifted people to have that gift to help you in your spiritual life. But I'm telling you, if all you ever get is somebody else feeding you meals, you're neglecting your salvation. It's, it's like a parent. You know, you ever seen a parent? Open up. Here comes the, the choo-choo train. And the glow can, oh. Listen, that's what you're doing when, when, when he preaches and when I'm preaching to you or somebody else is preaching to you is, is somebody's boom, and he's giving you food. You got to learn to eat it yourself, right? Hey, listen, I, I'm just telling you, you want to de de destroy your spiritual life, don't ever pray. Just don't ever talk to God. D don't talk to him. John Rice said this, all of our failures are prayer failures. I think there might be something to that. And just neglect it. Hey, neglect worshiping with God's people. Listen to me tonight. Look around this room. God knew you needed this. Well, I can worship God at home on my YouTube channel. No, you can't. Stop. Just stop. Now, look, if you're watching online and you're, you're, you're laid up and sick and for legit, that's fine. But if you're just sitting there because you're in your PJ, sitting on your recliner with your iced tea in your lap, you're not doing right. You know you're not doing right. God designed us to be together. You say, well, I don't like some people in this room. I'm sure you don't. But you ever thought somebody don't like you either? Have you ever thought some of the difficult people in your life, you need them? Some of the difficult people in life make you better. I'm just saying, God knew we needed to be together. And I heard this little statement, you miss church and you won't miss church. Now you think about it, some of you will get that by freight later, but it's just true. That's why I get nervous as it can be when you see somebody, where are they on Sunday night? Why aren't they here? Why aren't they here on Wednesday night? Because you know a Wednesday night turns into a Sunday night, and a Sunday night turns into Sunday school, and then Sunday school turns into Sunday morning, and then they drifted away, and you don't know where they are. I got church members the FBI can't even find. You understand what I'm saying? You want to ruin your spiritual life, just neglect it. And the result is slipping or drifting away. Now, here's the question. Here, here's the sermon tonight. We're going to take it from our text. How do I know if I'm backslidden? Some of you are like, Preach, lighten up, man. I'm here. I read my Bible today. Take it easy. I'm planning to come tomorrow night. But hold on a second. This, this passage gives us some indicators of what it looks like to be backslidden. And I think you'll find it interesting. It doesn't mean that you're on drugs or, or you're running a prostitution ring or something like that. that that's, that's you join the mafia. It's none of that stuff. I want to show you what it is. Number one, here's a sign you're backslidden. Three signs a Christian is backsliding. Number one. Hearing God's word, but not heeding God's word is a sign of slipping. Look what he says. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard. I want you to remember that the problem here is not so much your intention, it's your inattention. That's what the author's talking about. It's not a lack of knowledge either. 
I'm preaching to some people. I mean, you have a pastor that tries to dig into deep things with you. I'm talking to some of you that have deep Bible knowledge. But the issue here is not how much you know or what you don't know. That's, that's not what he's talking about. In fact, remember, Hebrews is written to Hebrew people. And these are people that had a pretty good understanding of scriptural things. And he, he studied the book of Hebrews. It's one of the more difficult books in the New Testament. And, and if you study it, you're going to find all of these Old Testament references and things like that. He's talking to people that knew what these shadows and types and illustrations were because these were things that pointed to Christ. So they, they had a really strong understanding of the scripture but, but the, the thing is, is the Jewish people, even though they knew a lot about the Scripture, they did not recognize the Messiah when they came. And, and so the idea is that he's kind of saying to them, listen, the Jewish people have always had the light. But before Christ came in person, they, they had the light. They had like a candle. And I'm not trying to be cheesy, but they're kind of saying they had a candle. But now what are we going to do now that we have the sun? And I'm talking about S-O-S-U-N. What are we talking about? But of course, that is the S-O-N that came. Now we have all of this light that manifested themselves. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father kind of thing. And he was talking about people that, that knew a lot about the Scripture. And he said, don't neglect that by, by hearing it and not heeding it. So what do you mean? It wasn't a hearing problem. It was a heeding problem. They weren't paying attention and practicing what they knew. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Uh, you know, God's blessed me, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I, I've had opportunity to travel and preach, so I've been on an airplane a lot. Uh, in fact, I, I, I've just got diamond status. I mean, I, I mean, I fly quite a bit. And so I've heard the spiel on an airplane a lot. I could give it to you. I always find it's interesting how they tell you how to buckle your seatbelt. I've got a lot of thoughts about that. One, how much help is a seatbelt, a lap belt, going to do you if the plane crashes? Two, if you don't know how to buckle a seatbelt by this time in your life and you're flying on an airplane, you probably deserve to die when we crash. And I've seen those stewards stand in the middle of the aisle and they, they always have this big cheesy grin on their face. There are two emergency exits. They only point with two fingers, not one. You'll find that they're located here and here and here. In the event of an emergency, there is a flotation device under your seat. You'll find a vest, and they'll put the little life vest on. And, and it's amazing how, how you're supposed to be blowing in the little tube. If it doesn't inflate on its own, you can blow in the tube. That's always funny to me, because if I'm blowing in that tube and the plane's going down, ain't no smiling on anybody's face, you know, <laughs> you know that kind of thing. I tell you, like, uh, oxygen's going to come down. Make sure you put the oxygen on first before you assist anybody else. Your seat will be a flotation device. I know all of those things. And so what happens is when they start talking like that, you know what I do is I just put my noise-canceling earphones on. I pay no attention to them. I've heard it, but I don't heed it. Why? Because all these times I've ever flown, I've never been in a crash. I'm just used to it. I feel like, well, what's the point? I mean, the plane's not going down. I don't need to listen to this. I've heard it before. I know all of this. Does that sound like anybody you've ever known? Does that ever sound like you have been in your Christian life? What if the preacher got up tonight and said, I'm going to turn to John 3.16? I know this. I've heard a lot of messages on John 3.16. This morning, I preached on how to be saved. I imagine there were some sitting here going, come on, give us something here, man. I know I'm saved. What's that? Come on, everybody knows that. This is Bible Baptist Church. You ever hear things without he thinks? You ever sat in church before? You ever sat in church before, and, and the whole time the preacher was preaching, you were thinking to yourself, I wish so-and-so was here. They need to hear this. 
I, I wish my husband were here tonight. This was just for him. You see what that is? That's drifting. That's hearing the Word without heeding it. You, you see, too many Christians take the Word of God for granted and they neglect it. But it's not just neglecting it in that way. It's, it's, again, it's hearing it without heeding it. That's why James wrote in James chapter 1, you know the verse. Don't just be a hearer of the Word. Help me, church. Be a doer of the Word. So that means that when you hear something preached, you're either supposed to believe it or you're supposed to act upon it. Now, I'm not talking about the preacher's opinions and ideas and those kind of things. I'm talking about this book right here. If this book says it, then you ought to do it. And I'm telling you, a lot of people just kind of like, oh, that's a good suggestion. I hear, what you, I hear what you're saying, preacher, but that's backslidden this. I mean, what good is this book in your life if you don't do what it says? I'll tell you, I get so frustrated sometimes with counseling. I have somebody, and I don't want to talk about specific problems, but I got somebody, it's as if they're telling me, you know what my problem is? My problem is my head hurts. And you're watching them bang their head against the wall. And you come up and you say, now, look, I mean, I'm no expert, but the Bible says if you stop banging your head on the wall, it won't hurt. And they won't listen to you. That's backsliddenness. Okay, listen, there ought to be times in our life that we're like, man, I need to start listening to that. And I was just at the preacher's conference this past week, and they were preaching. Man, I, I got so convicted in one service. I know you're not supposed to do this. I took out my phone in the middle of the service, and I started texting somebody I need to apologize to because I fell under so much conviction. I need to do what this preacher's talking about. Amen. Now, I'm not always that way. I can be like you. But I'm telling you, that's a sign of being backslidden. Number two, I got to hurry. Thinking God's judgment is no big deal is a sign of slipping. Look at what he says. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, so meaning angels, I think he's talking about literal angels based on the context, but he could be talking about messengers, you know, that's kind of the idea of, a, of the word angel. But it says because it's faithful, it was steadfast, it was true. He says, and every transgression and every disobedience received a just recompense of the word. So, so the idea there is when you didn't obey the message that they gave, there was some penalty attached to that. There was a consequence attached to that. And consequence to us is a negative word, but it can be a positive word. If you do what God says, there's good consequences. If you don't do what God says, there's bad consequences. And, and he says, listen, there's always a just recompense of reward attached to this, this message. And so the argument is that they had the law given by God, God and his messengers, and it was reliable, and it brought judgment on people that disobeyed. How much greater are the consequences of disobedience to people who neglect his son? Do you remember that parable of the wicked husbandman? Remember these guys that they kind of they, they took a, a management of this, this man's vineyard and, and when he sent people to check on him, they were beating him up and they were kicking him out. And then he said, you know what? They're not listening to all these messengers. Let me send my son down there. And when it came, they killed his son. And the idea there, I mean, this is what Jesus said when he told that story. He said, when the Lord, therefore, the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? And so what, this is kind of what the, the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, listen, all of these messengers came and they gave this message and people didn't listen to them. And then the son came and the son gave this message. And if you ignore the son, what do you think is going to happen to you when you ignore that message? You see, too many people, too many people just think, ah, oh, no, God's not going to do that. God's not going to deal with me like that. Hey, I can do what I want and, and, and I haven't experienced God's judgment yet. Listen, that's foolish thinking. And you and I both know, and I know I'm unlimited in my time, 
But you and I both know that God's grace in this day and age is greatly being abused. We have this idea that because God is gracious and He's patient and He's long-suffering and He's merciful and He's kind and He's good, and amen, He's all of those things. But the problem is, is we think that because He's all of those things, God is never angry and God is never judging and God is never hard and sometimes He is. And to ignore that is to be in a backslidden state. You see, there are too many people that are in love with His grace and they forget that His grace does not excuse you not to do things. I came across this and I like it. It's called reverse legalism. Let me read it to you. This is a reverse legalist can sometimes be ironically just as legalistic as a regular legalist, but with a twist. Instead of measuring sanctification by multiplying behavioral standards so that he can smugly announce, I am holier than thou, The reverse legalist measures sanctification by eliminating behavioral standards so that he can announce with equal smugness, I am freer than thou. Listen, if if we're just going to go around and do whatever we want to do and ignore the message of God and think that we we are impervious to the punishment of God, that is a sign of backsliding. The Bible here uses the word transgression. I mean, stepping over the line. That, that, That carries the idea of intentionally doing something we know to be wrong. Come on, I know I'm not preaching to some people that knew what was wrong and did it anyway. Come on now, don't look at me so sanctimonious tonight. Am I the only one in this room that I knew it was wrong? The Holy Spirit was screaming in my life, that's wrong, don't you do it. Don't you do it. And I thought to myself, I'm going to do it anyway. Am I the only one in here like that? That's who he's talking about. He says, Diso, use the word disobedience. That's shutting your ears to the commands and warnings and invitations of God. It's neglect. It's basically doing nothing when you should be doing something. Am I the one? I know I ought to do that, but I'm not going to. I don't want to. That's backsliddenness. And the Bible says that they received a just recompense of their reward. Here's a statement I say to our church on a regular basis. It's easy to remember. You choose to sin, you choose to suffer. You mark that down. You choose to sin, you choose to suffer. And that's what the author is saying here. And I think that we have succumbed to the idea of false narrative about who God is. I think sometimes in this day and age in which we live in, and I don't want to neglect the grace of God. It's a wonderful message to preach, and I preach it all the time, anytime I can. But the grace of God does not mean that God is your hired cheerleader. Listen carefully to me. God does not look at, at your life and just say, oh, buddy, I love you. You, you are awesome. You are awesome. No, God is awesome. You're not. I hate to bust your bubble. God is awesome. You're not. I thought God loves me. Oh, he loves you, but he knows what you are. Isn't that what the Bible says? He he remembered our frame. He knoweth that we are but dust. You know what that's saying? That's a nice way of saying you're just a dirt bag. Oh, no. God said, you're you're awesome. You're awesome. You, You do you, buddy. No, no. You'll hear that in the world. You won't hear that in the word. You do you. Man, I tell you, I just, ooh, I'm... Look, I know the Bible says God is for you, but God doesn't believe in you. You're supposed to believe in him. And if you think that he's your hired cheerleader, come on now. If you think he's just over there, rah, rah, you. No, no, no. That's not the God that the Bible explains. And furthermore, God, if you don't think that God's just a hired cheerleader that just puts a stamp of approval on anything that you do in your life, sometimes people just think he's he's just this helpless old grandpa. I mean, he's missing his teeth, he's cute, got all the wrinkles on his face, and 
got that little, little gray beard, and he's, he's up in a rocking chair, a little bald-headed man, and he's up there, and he's just like, oh, I'm glad my kids came to see me. I mean, if you think that's who God is, and, and he's just weak, anemic, he's got no muscle, look, I'm telling you, you do not understand who God is. And that's why a lot of people think that they can do whatever they want in their life and have no consequences for it. And then when they're suffering the built-in consequences of sin, they say, well, where's God? I thought he was supposed to be good in my life. No, you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. And when you live as if there are no consequences for your actions, right or wrong, then you, my friend, have drifted away from the place that you need to be. I want you to know Hebrews 10.31 says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. All right, let me close with this. Third thought, when you allow ritual to replace relationship, it's a sign of slipping. Look what he says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which is the first began to spoken of by the Lord and was confirmed and then by heard him. God also bearing them witness with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. What he's saying there is that God validated his message to all men and he did it through signs and wonders. Now, I believe he was targeting the Jewish people when he gave signs and wonders. If you study the Bible, you'll kind of see that's kind of what they were looking for. And he gave them signs and wonders to confirm his message. Then it says there are miracles. I believe he was trying to, he was trying to convince and, and, and validate his message to the Gentiles through miracles. And then he talks about gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think he was validating those to the, to the church, to people who were believers and assembled and made up the church. He gave gifts as a sign of the validation of his ministry. But here's the thing, and you'll know this if you've been around church for a while. Man has a tendency to fall in love with these gifts and these signs and these miracles instead of falling in love with God. And that's always been a problem. You remember back in the Old Testament, man, I, I, won't, I, I need to hurry here, but you remember the, the snakes because the Israelites were complaining and the snakes were coming and biting people, and so Moses made a, a brazen serpent, he put it on a rod. You remember years later, they saved that thing. I, I think I would want to save that. I mean, you remember? Put it in a museum somewhere and, and have that. And they did, they saved it. But you remember, years later, they ended up destroying that thing. Why? Because people were worshiping that instead of worshiping the God. And I think it's easy for us to do. We can fall in love with the things of God instead of actually falling in love with God. And what I'm saying is that's when we allow ritual to, to overtake our relationship with God, and that's a sign of slipping. See, the point of, the things, of these things in our text is they were validating the gospel message so that man could have a relationship with God. And so ritual in and of itself is not necessarily bad. I mean, I'm thankful for traditions and rituals. Listen, that's what God in many ways has told us to do. The Lord's Supper is kind of ritualistic, isn't it? Baptism is kind of a ritual and a rite. There's nothing wrong with that. God commanded many of those things. But he said, hey, when you love the ritual more than the relationship with God, that's a problem. You've slipped. See, what ought to get everybody excited up here when people get baptized is not we can add some numbers or we saw a ritual performed. No, we know what that signifies. It signifies the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It signifies that somebody got saved and they're obeying the Lord. They're not just hearing the word, they're heeding the word. And, and that ought to excite us. And listen, if you can't get excited about your own salvation, at least get excited about these folks. Right? But sometimes we, we miss that and we, get, we just kind of go through the motions without connecting them to God. It's kind of like this little story I heard. A little girl came and asked her mom. She said, Mommy, when you make a ham, I, I notice that you cut the ends of that ham off and put it in the pan and put it in the oven. She said, Why do you do that? She said, Well, sweetheart, I, I don't really know, honestly. It's just the way your grandma told me to, taught me how to bake a ham. So why don't you go and ask grandma? And so she went over to Granny's house and she said, Granny, I noticed, you, you just like my mama, you, you cut the ends of the ham off and put it in the pan and put it in the oven. Why do you do that? Do you do that so that the juices can permeate? Do you do things so it'll cook 
thoroughly through? Why do you do that? She said, well, I, I don't know. That's just the way great-grandma taught me how to cook a ham. You need to go and ask great-grandma. So She was with great-grandma, and she said, great-grandma, why do you cut the ends off the ham just like, just like granny and just like mom do? And great-grandma just started laughing, and she said, oh, I've always done that because my pan's too small. I think that's a silly little illustration, but I think it illustrates something. These folks were keeping a ritual and they didn't know why they were doing it. You understand tonight we do the same thing with God rituals? Come on, folks. You ever just gone to church just because that's what you're supposed to do? Come on. Now listen, I'm not going to fuss at you too much. I'd rather you come to church than not come at all. But the truth is, is this is a revival meeting, so let's get down to the nitty-gritty. You ought to be coming to church not because that's just what you're supposed to do. You ought to be coming to church because you want to, we want to worship God. Well, I also don't know if I get anything out. You ever thought you might be able to give something? See, what I'm saying is when I come to church, I don't want to just go through the motions, come down, sit in the same seat I always sit in, do the same thing I always do. No, I want to come because I want to hear from God. But I can honestly tell you, I've not always gone to church for that reason. Just going through the motions. Come on, we talk about singing songs. You ever, you ever sung the songs? I grew up in church all my life. Every song you sung tonight, except for maybe one, I, I, I know those songs. I probably don't even need you to put the words on the screen. You, you ever sung the songs because you just, it's just I know the song, I sing the song. Or have you ever been in a spirit of worship where you're looking at the songs and you're like, oh man, that's a rich theological truth right there. And they're talking about my Jesus right there. Oh man, I, I, yeah, I, I know that. And you, you just ever, you ever, you ever gotten emotional about singing a song in church? Look, look, I know this is a Baptist church, and this is in the state of the Ohio, so I know you can't get all but too emotional in here. I know if some of you, somebody got happy, you, you, you wouldn't know what to do with yourself. Not too long ago, I was in a church, we, we, we went to hear a preacher, and we were in a church that real, really gets happy in the South. I'm talking about running around in there. Now, that's not necessarily my cup of tea, but, I mean, at least they're happy about it. I mean, some people I know are saved and mad about it. I like people saved and happy. I mean, this, this, this old boy, the choir was singing. He got happy, and he was up in the front, and, I mean, he was just doing this number right here, and he's just all around the front. I was this little boy. He was, he was about third grade. He leaned over. One of, our, one of the guys in our church's son, he leaned over and stuck his head around. He goes, preacher. I said, yeah, man. He goes, you allowed to do that? I said, he is, but you're not. Now sit there, you know. I, I mean, come on now. Sometimes we, we, we just don't just go through the motions and things. See, I think a lot of churches like ours, sometimes we just get to the idea that like, okay, singing's what you do. You know, it's supposed to prepare your heart for preaching. So let's just get this over with. No, that's not what singing is. Singing, it, it, man, the Bible commands us to sing praises to God. God's given you a voice. He's given you the ability to sing. No, no other creation can sing. I mean, whales make noise and they call it songs, but they ain't songs. They kind of sound like your preacher singing, but anyway. Man, just say, like, man, don't just hurry up and get that over with so you can get to the preaching. No, worship God. Don't go through the motions. Man, come on now. You ever just read your Bible because that's what you're supposed to do? You ever just pray because that's what Christians do? And there's no connection to God? I, again, I just tell you tonight, I'm asking you, has your worship become empty and routine? Have your prayers just been re reduced to repetitious reciting? And I'm just being transparent with you because I feel comfortable enough to do it. I like to walk when I pray because I'll be honest with you, if I kneel, sometimes I just fall asleep. 
I mean, how many of you like to get a good nap? And I'm a napper now. And if I, if, I, if I put my head down, I'll fall asleep. I mean, I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I like to walk, and I like to walk outside because the sunshine's good for you. And so a lot of times I'll walk outside, not, not, not so people will notice me praying, just because I, it's, just, it's just good for me. The other day I was out walking, it was a beautiful day. I was just walking, and I found myself just saying nonsense. Oh, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Help me. Help me, Lord. You know, okay. And I caught myself, and I thought, what am I talking about? I'm not even talking to God. I'm just saying stuff. I had to stop. God, help me. Forgive me. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be talking to you like this. I'm not praying the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And this is not an effectual prayer because it's not a fervent prayer. And I, I, God, help me. Stop going through the motions and just saying this is my prayer time and this is what I do. No, no, no. Let me talk and converse with you. And I guarantee you, I'm talking to some people you found yourself and you just, you just going through the motions. I was at a prayer meeting with my son, Mark, when he was He's about, I mean, man, he's like four or five years old, and I just believe taking him along with me is good for him. I want him to hear his dad pray and learn how to pray. I hope he becomes a man of prayer. The sooner he does it, the better. So I brought him along with this in this prayer meeting, and, and uh, in this prayer meeting, he kind of paired up with men and prayed and spent some time in prayer, and it was, it was a good prayer meeting. And so it just, you know, again, I was happy if he would have prayed with somebody else in church, but it just so happened he and I were praying together. And so I told him, I said, okay, Mark, here's what we're going to pray about. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then I'm, I'm, you pray first, and then Dad will pray. And uh, so we'll do that. And so he said, okay, Dad. I mean, he's like five. I remember we're sitting there, and he, he bowed his head, and he started to pray. And this is what he said. He said, dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Because that's what you always say, right? Thank you for this day. And he said, he said no, no, mind you, this is a prayer meeting. This wasn't dinner. And he said, thank you for this food. And when he did, he looked up at me like. And I looked at him and I said, buddy, it's okay. I said, we have all done that. That just teaches we got to engage our mind when we're talking to God. But wasn't that a great illustration of the fact that sometimes we just go through the motions? Listen, I want you to be here tomorrow night. And I don't want you to cop out and say, well, you know, if my heart ain't in it, I'm just going to stay home. No, no, no. I'd rather be here for the wrong reason not be here at all. But you and I both know it would be better if you came here tomorrow night because you said, you know what? I want to go to church and meet with God's people and hear from God's Word and to sing God's praises and to give to God's glory. See, these are symptoms of a heart that has moved away from God. Let me ask you some questions, and I'm done. Have you neglected the great gift of salvation? I'm not, I didn't ask if you rejected it. I would imagine on a Sunday night, I don't want to assume, but I would imagine just about everybody in here says, I'm saved. You've received Jesus Christ. That's wonderful. You haven't rejected Him, but, but have you neglected Him? And I would imagine that there's somebody in here that would just be honest. You say, Preacher, I have. I've got a great salvation because I've got a great Savior. But I've kind of neglected it. I mean, come on now. Here's the question. Have you heard the truth but not heeded it? Like you, you, listen, I guarantee you, 
If you care to know, the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart about something. Great evangelist D.L. Moody was preaching, and he said, come up here to this altar and confess your sins. And he said, if you don't know what they are, just come up here and guess. I think the idea there is I think we got a pretty good guess of what they are. Maybe you, you know the Holy Spirit speaking and saying, you know what, you've heard this, you know you should be doing this and you're not. You know you should stop doing that and you are. The Holy Spirit will speak to you if you let Him. He that hath ears, let him hear what the Spirit would say to you. Maybe there's somebody here tonight, you're hearing it, but you're not heeding it. Number two, are you downplaying the judgment of God? Ah, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, I don't know about that. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Isn't that why the Bible says humble yourself? It's a whole lot better you take care of it and let God take care of it. Number three, have you become ritualistic? Or are you constantly cultivating a relationship with God? I guess we could just boil it down to one single question. Are you slipping? Heavenly Father, thank you for letting me preach a little bit tonight. I hope that it was a help. And I hope in this revival meeting that you'll just speak to our hearts and help us to be what we ought to be. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to go through that real quick again. How many of you would say, preacher, the Holy Spirit's ministering to me tonight, and I know there's something in my life that I'm, I, I'm, I'm hearing, but I'm not heeding. Would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that? Would you raise your hand? God bless you. I appreciate it. Some of you, it might be as simple as you're not reading your Bible like you ought. Your prayer life's not where it ought to be. You're not witnessing like you ought to. Maybe it's something deeper than that. Hey, just be honest with God. He loves you. He'll work with you. That's what His grace is for. I mean, you say, preacher, there's some things in my life I know need to be dealt with, and I've been minimizing the judgment of God in my life. And the Holy Spirit woke my, my attention about that tonight. How many of you feel that way? Would you raise your hand? God bless you. I appreciate it. How many say, preacher, I'll tell you right now, the biggest thing going on in my life is I, I've just found myself in the busyness of life, not by intention, but by inattention, just going through the motions. And it's become ritualistic with me. How many of you feel that way tonight? Would you raise your hand? God bless you. Listen, if God's speaking in your heart, what I want you to do is I want you to speak to Him about it. Come, come kneel at this altar tonight. Turn around and make an altar out of your seat. You say, what's an altar? It's a place where you meet God. Why don't you do that tonight? Let's all stand together. Our friend's playing on the piano. Why don't you respond to God if He's speaking to your heart tonight? Some are coming and moving. That's wonderful. I don't measure the success of a sermon based on how you move, but I sure want you to like this preacher in Hebrews to say, hey, now what are you going to do about it? You got a great salvation. What are you going to do about it? And let's leave here tonight a little bit rejuvenated. I pray the Lord will help us tonight. You'll be back tomorrow night. I promise you I'm going to preach an encouraging message tomorrow night. Try and build you up and encourage you. Be back tomorrow and bring somebody with you. Do not neglect the great salvation that God has given you.